This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. As usual, I am Chris, and today is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Happy belated by one day Valentine's Day, or for some of you plebs out there, happy national or happy international singles awareness day uh however more importantly today is dca wednesday and that means we're going to get our dollar cost average stack on before we do that real quick a look at the vital statistics at the time of this recording we are sitting at a blockchain block height of seven hundred seventy-six thousand seven hundred and thirty-six. And Bitcoin is ringing in at a USD value of $24,335 or 4,098 sats per dollar. That is up all, uh, that is up about $1,500 from last Wednesday. One of the nice things about dollar cost averaging, as I've said time and time again, is that it gives you that automatic zoom out if you're following the prices constantly. Uh, just yesterday we were down, you know, Bitcoin was, 21,300 or something like that. Uh, and then uh, this morning it started popping when I first checked uh, hours and hours ago, it was right around 22,000 something, which was pretty much exactly where we were the, you know, a week ago on Wednesday, right in that 22, eight to $23,000 range we've been in for a month. Uh, so, you know, while we popped and it is the highest we've seen it in months, uh, a new a new high for the year, <laughs> a new yearly high, new 2023 high. Uh, you know, when you when you zoom out, that's one of the nice things about dollar cost averaging is it 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 uh, it it makes Bitcoin look a whole heck of a lot less volatile. One thing is for sure, though, TikTok next block. We are careening headlong to the next to the next Bitcoin halving. If you are listening for the first time and you don't know what the halving is or that a halving is coming. Uh, approximately every four years, the minor reward for finding the the next Bitcoin block is reduced in half uh, till eventually there will be no new Bitcoin issued at all. Uh, And that has corresponded at least anecdotally or observationally in this case to a bull run that takes place about every, every, well, about once every four years, about six to 18 months after the halving. You know, the last halving was in 2020. And then we had that the bull run that set the new all-time high of about $69,000. Before that, the halving was in uh, 2016. And of course, 2017 saw a new all-time high of just under 20,000. And of course they say history doesn't repeat, but it certainly rhymes. However, this is algorithmic. So if it is the halving that's causing these hype cycles and these bull runs, then we would expect another new all-time high sometime after the 2024 halving. Uh, and that's coming up in 63,264 blocks. Of course, that's block time. It's not based on a date. It's not based on a specific number of days. It's based on a specific number of blocks. Um, so currently, that's looking like it's going to be as soon as April 24th uh, of 2024. So just a little over a year and a month away, a year and a month and a half away, uh, less than a year and two months away. 
Uh, depending on how fast those blocks come in, though, the estimators are saying that it could be anywhere between March of 2024, which would be a lot closer to a year from now, and June of 2024, which, of course, would be almost a year and a half from now. Uh, but it's looking like it's going to be sometime in April of 2024. And if you've never experienced a halving, uh, the, the Bitcoin conference in Miami and Pacific Bitcoin out in Los Angeles uh, have been huge, huge events, big parties for Bitcoiners and plebs to get together. But prior to that, really, the big event was the halving. There were halving parties all around the world. Because of what was going on in 2020, the last halving was pretty much all online. But before the world changed, there were having parties planned all over the world, whether it was in Tel Aviv, Israel, Paris, Munich, anywhere in the United States. And hopefully that's going to be the case this year. I think we're going to start hearing people planning those having parties again. Uh, I don't know where the big ones are going to be at the moment, but I'm betting they're in probably some of the same locations. Hopefully one near you, or maybe it'd be more fun to travel to one that isn't near you. But uh, plan on being somewhere fun April 24th, 2024. Ish. And of course, it's hard to book those airline tickets because you really aren't, you, even even the day of the halving, you don't know ex if it's going to be on that specific day or maybe the, the day earlier or a day later, depending on how fast those blocks are zooming in. But uh, people make it work and it's a good time. So if you've never experienced a halving celebration, uh, buckle up because it's not just the new all-time high, which watching Bitcoin start pumping again is certainly fun. But uh, the celebration of the halving is a lot of fun. But back to the statistics. Uh, currently, Bitcoin is sitting at a market capitalization of $469.5 billion, nowhere near the trillion-dollar market cap we saw when Bitcoin was setting new all-time highs during the last type cycle, but up $28 billion just from last week alone. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Of course, that's a two, there's, you know, a two-phase uh, metric. It's based on the, the current value of Bitcoin, you know, the current purchase price of Bitcoin on exchanges and also the number of Bitcoin in existence, and that's changing every time a new block is found, you know, more Bitcoin are in existence. So there's a couple of things influencing that, but uh, market capitalization is going up. A lot of people think market capitalization is a BS statistic. I've explained on numerous episodes before that, for example, if you wanted to fork Bitcoin and create Chris coin, which there probably is, there's so many S coins out there, but let's say you create, you know, new coin A, uh, and you make a million of them and you sell, you find, you bribe one, some exchange into listing it and you sell uh, one coin to yourself for $1. All of a sudden you've established a market capitalization of $1 million for this coin you've just whipped up out of thin air. So in a lot of ways it is a BS statistic, but when the larger, more traditional assets, things that people are, you know, before Bitcoin came along, uh, you know, corporations, uh, thing, you know, heavily traded assets, their market capitalization was an important metric that traditional investors Wall Street used to value a company. Uh, and as Bitcoin gets more mainstream, its importance grows, at least among traditional finance, whether you care about Bitcoin's market cap or not. Uh, people do. And if you're hoping for that institutional adoption or the normie adoption, that's an important metric because market cap gets people excited. I guarantee you when Bitcoin passes the $1 trillion market cap again, they'll be chattering about it on MSNBC and Bloomberg. All right. So if you don't care about uh, market capitalization, but you care about your shiny yellow rocks, your Spanish doubloons, your My Precious Shift coins, it's going to cost you 13.4 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That is more than one one-ounce bar or one one-ounce coin more than last week. Last week, you could have purchased a Bitcoin for just 2.3 ounces of gold. 
when Peter Schiff made that call at 16,000 saying bail out of Bitcoin and get into gold now before it's too late, uh, he, he lost that bet because uh, now one Bitcoin is worth about three, two to three, two to three more uh, gold coins, one ounce gold coins or bars than it was when he tweeted that. Of course, Peter Schiff is a lot like Jim Cramer. When he gets on Twitter and tweets about Bitcoin, it's usually uh, it's um it's an inverse indicator. It's Peter Schiff is always good as a bottom signal. So hey, thanks, Pete. Notice you've been really quiet about Bitcoin recently. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you one thousand four hundred and forty-one Papa John's pizzas. That is a palindrome of pizzas. If you're Marty Bent or other people out there that, that like your that are into numbers and palindromes. That is almost four years worth of pizza, ordering one large pepperoni pizza every day for 3.9 years. That is a heck of a lot of pizza. That is a lot of food security. It's something that's a lot easier to do with Bitcoin than it is to do with those gold coins. Good luck taking a $1,700 gold coin into Papa John's, getting them to give you a pizza and make change. All right, so the statistic that you know I like to follow, the one that I've kind of just been paying attention to based on my own personal observations, Bitcoin's 24-hour transaction rate is absolutely screaming, currently averaging 3.78 transactions per second. Uh, and, you know, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time that uh, I have noted just from doing the show that every time it is above 3.14 3.15 transactions per second bitcoin is usually going up in value that is certainly the case today of course there's other reasons that you know on-chain activity is so hectic right now there are currently 65 blocks for the transactions pending in the mempool that is up from 49 blocks just last week and uh and part of that is because of that whole ordinals inscriptions thing. We spoke about that a little bit last week. Uh, most people refer to it as just ordinals. Technically, I guess it's inscriptions, which are basically trying to mint the equivalent of NFTs on the blockchain uh, using the segregated witness portion of the Bitcoin uh, transaction to, uh, to encode a JPEG, whatever you want to encode. Uh, and because it's weighted differently, instead of having one megabyte block, one megabyte blocks, it's been it's been managed to bump up, you know, almost to four megabyte blocks. However, even with all that activity, uh, it's still only recommending a transaction fee of twenty eight sats per V byte to guarantee that your Bitcoin on chain transaction is included in the next block, and that is because um, these ordinals, these inscriptions, are not necessarily high priority transactions so a lot of them are just sitting in the mempool and never getting never getting added to the to uh to the blockchain however this is the first time in a long time that it's not estimating that a one sat per byte block will clear within a day and from my my observations in the last week it probably would not clear within a day uh, just because the mempool has been jammed uh, but they're saying the minimums the minimum fee to guarantee that your transaction will clear within 24 hours is two sats per byte. Uh, if you're familiar with replace by fee where you can change what you're willing to pay for the transaction later uh, so your transaction doesn't get stuck and you're willing to try a one sat per byte transaction, maybe they'll clear. You know, when it's nighttime or the weekend in Europe or the United States is when on-chain transactions tend to slow down historically. Uh, but... Do some research on that because you don't want your transaction to get stuck. If you're making a very important on-chain transaction, it's looking like it's going to cost you 26 sats per byte. I've still never paid more than one sat per byte for a transaction, mostly because I do my transactions when the mempool isn't full. 
which hasn't been the case recently. And also, I'm just willing to wait. If I have a priority transaction, I just absolutely have to make. As with most people, more commonly now, it's, uh, you know, those transactions, transactions are occurring on Lightning, not on Chain. Lightning transactions only affect, they only touch the blockchain if you're opening or closing a channel. If you're not familiar with Lightning, that's a second layer solution where uh, you can run a Lightning node just like your Bitcoin node. In fact, you can run a two-in-one on a Raspberry Pi with a lot of really simple uh, solutions like the Umbral nodes or Raspi Blitz. Uh, that's a topic for a completely separate episode, but long and the short of it is you don't have to run your old your own Lightning node. You should, just like you should be running your own Bitcoin node because... You know, you, if you if you really want to trust that the data is accurate, then you want to, you know, verify not trust. Uh, but nonetheless, that that's a second layer solution where you have channels between second layer nodes, and they uh, they relay transactions that are almost free. They're fractions of a satoshi to process a transaction, and they're instantaneous. Again, uh, that's a, a topic for another episode. But Lightning volume has been increasing dramatically by leaps and bounds in the last two years. Uh, particularly of late, when I spoke about the coffee that I purchased from El Salvador, uh, I paid them on the using a you know I paid they sent me a Lightning invoice. I DM'd him on Twitter and said I want to buy coffee, uh, and he he sent me a Lightning invoice. I paid it instantly, and he had that coffee in the mail immediately. Uh, and thanks again, that coffee was fantastic. And I'll get into that in just a little bit after the after I finish with the vital statistics as well. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about statistic wise is that Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment. And we had a downward difficulty adjustment of about a half a percent uh, right after the last episode, I believe. So mining blocks got just a tiny bit easier. That is not going to be the case this time. If you don't know, or for those of you who do know, the difficulty required to, main, to mine the next block, to win the next block and be rewarded, you know, that, that mining reward in the new Bitcoin is adjusted every 1,000. Correction, every 2,016 blocks, which works out to about every two weeks. Uh, but that varies based on how fast blocks are coming in. And that's the reason we have a difficulty adjustment. Satoshi made the difficulty to mine a, a new block fluctuate approximately every two weeks to target a new Bitcoin block every 10 minutes. And if they're coming in faster than 10 minutes on average during that 2,016 blocks, the difficulty goes up. If they're coming in slower, the difficulty co comes down makes it easier to find Bitcoin, so it speeds up those blocks. Currently, blocks are zooming along. They're averaging 9 minutes and 11 seconds. And as a result, uh, we're looking at a relatively large difficulty increase uh, in about 9 days, nine and a half days, sometime around February 25th, so almost 10 days. And that's going to be anywhere from 3.61 to 9.2%. 9.2% would be a significant increase in mining. Um, there's many reasons why mining hash power fluctuates. Some of it isn't really hash power fluctuating. It's just mining a block is luck. It's like flipping a coin. Sometimes blocks come in fast just because they do, not because hash rate increased. But also because we had those really cold storms in Texas. A lot of the mining now is in Texas. After China banned mining, a lot of the mining came to the United States. When they came to the United States, they came to Texas because Texas has no state income tax. Electricity is relatively cheap in Texas because it was the energy capital of the United States until they decided to go with all that wind power. Last time I drove across Texas, it was dystopian almost. It was as far as the eye can see, just windmill after windmill after windmill uh, for an entire day on, on the road di driving diagonally across Texas from Amarillo to Waco. Uh, and those don't work when the wind isn't blowing. Um, and without getting into the, the green energy reliability debate, 
which is hashed out all the time on Bitcoin Twitter. Uh, the long and the short of it is, is because Texas has high demand when it gets cold or when it gets really hot, and they do have issues with their wind power from time to time, the Bitcoin miners have signed agreements with the grid managers that when there's a huge surge in energy demand or a lack of production, that they'll turn their miners off and let that energy flow to the grid. And they get paid to do that, so it's not like they're just being altruistic, a word that I just hate now. Thank you to SBF. But it isn't just that they're being nice. They are making a profit. But it's a win-win situation. It's, the, it's a win-win because ERCOT and the, and, the, and the power companies don't have to build plants that they only run at peak, you know, so-called peaker plants that only run at peak demand and are basically a waste of money the rest of the year. Uh, and Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin gets to soak up the excess energy when it's available and get paid to, to idle when it's not. So when it was really cold, a lot of miners shut off is where I'm going with this. And therefore, the hash rate went down. And blocks took longer to come in and difficulty decreased. Now all those miners are coming back online. Uh, so that's one, or came back online. So that's one source of increased hash rate. It's, you know, it's a fluctuating hash rate, not necessarily new mining machines being installed. Some of it hopefully is Marathon Digital finally getting some of their miners installed. If you remember, even before the Bitcoin price tanked, Marathon, which was one of the largest mining companies in the United States, was having issues with the uh, with the power plant they were using in Montana went offline. And then the company they were using to install and maintain their miners filed for bankruptcy. So they had, they had hundreds of thousands of miners just sitting idle. And if and when those come online, that'll increase hash rate and increase and cause the difficulty to increase to go up as well. Many things affect difficulty increase uh, or difficulty adjustment, and it looks like it's going to be a really big increase. All right, well... Um, once again, the news continues to be the price. When I first got up this morning, as I mentioned, I do believe Bitcoin was more than $1,000 cheaper than it currently is. Uh, and there's a lot of things affecting that potentially. But hey, did you know that today is apparently World Hippo Day? I didn't know that until I opened my browser and, uh, and um, I opened the Brave browser or where do I open? And it just popped up uh, and, on, the, on the little news feed that they give you. Apparently today is International or World Hippopotamus Day. So if you're into river horses, those big, lovable, yet extraordinarily dangerous hippopotamuses, it's World Hippo Day. And the other question I know all of you are wondering is, uh, did I try the dark roast from Good Beans in San Salvador, El Salvador? And yes, I finally did. So once again, shout out to Good Beans Coffee Shop in San Salvador, El Salvador. Technically, they're in a suburb of San Salvador, the capital, but Close enough. If you don't know who they are, follow them on Twitter. On Twitter, they are Good Beans The, like the Good Beans, but The is on the end. Uh, they are shipping El Salvador grown, freshly roasted by them coffee all over the world. I ordered two one pound bags of coffee. It took me about a week to get them. I tried the lighter roast and I hadn't tried that. I was drinking the lighter roast during the last episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin podcast. I had not tried the dark, ro dark roast yet. And holy cow. Uh, these are the first two El Salvador and Salvadoran coffees I have ever tried. Everybody says Salvadoran coffee packs a punch. If you watch Max and Stacy on the Max and Stacy show, you know, Max Kaiser and Stacy Herbert, one of his recent broadcasts, I think it was maybe two shows ago, he was joking that everybody's walking around El Salvador caffeine buzzed. And if that dark roast, it packs a wallop. And part of it might just be the beans, but part of it's also, you know, the um, good beans was nice enough uh, to send me. Uh, suggestions on preparation uh, for the coffee. They ship whole beans that you grind them yourself. 
prepare your own coffee how you choose. And he sent me instructions for preparing it, whether I prepared it in my drip maker or my French press. One thing I noticed right off the bat, and you're going to need a kitchen scale because they're going to, if you're not, you know, well, if you're in the rest of the world, you're familiar with grams. But if you're using tablespoons, that's out the window because you're going to measure everything in grams, even the water. Uh, and I noticed when I was measuring out gram, the grams of coffee to make the pot I was making that I, it put about almost twice as much coffee in in the grinder than I than I normally do when I'm making, say, Kona coffee. Part of that is the dark roast. He says, uh, they say with the dark roast, use more coffee and use a, uh, a, a more coarse grind to get the best flavor. Anyway, long and the short of it is their dark roast is fantastic. I can't say that I have a favorite between the two. If I had to choose, I would say that I actually prefer the lighter roast, uh, and that's just personal preference. Um, I drink a lot of the lighter roast Kona coffee normally. Uh, I like, a, as I mentioned, a coffee that's from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's roasted with pino nuts, and I like the traditional lighter roast of that as well. But I compared this coffee to enjoying a fine cigar in the last episode, and just like a fine cigar, uh, you know, there's in 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 uh, countries like in Cuba where you know, smoking cigars is cultural, really. I mean, at least it used to be. Uh, you, you know, they had breakfast cigars, which were really lightweight. And then you, the next cigar you would smoke later in the day had to be a little stronger because your taste buds were kind of fouled from smoking that cigar, right? Especially a premium cigar that takes like an hour to smoke. And so cigars get progressively stronger during the day. Anyway, there was a cigar flavor for every occasion. And just like that, just like that with coffee, there's a coffee for every occasion. So I can't really say that I like the lighter roast better than the darker roast, and I haven't even ordered the bold yet. So good beans, eventually I'm going to order the bold. I don't drink as much coffee as a lot of my friends, so it might take me a little while to go through those two pounds. Uh, but I will definitely be trying more of their coffee because it's fantastic, guys. If you haven't ordered Salvadoran coffee, uh, connect with good beans on Twitter. Send them a DM, order some coffee. Uh, I will vouch for them. They're not going to scam you uh, out, of your, out of your Bitcoin. You send a Bitcoin, they're going to send you coffee. Uh, so, uh, order coffee and give it a try. Cause it's, it's awesome. And there's a, there's a coffee for every occasion. And, and like, for example, right now, I wish I had a cup of the dark roast brewed up. I do not. Cause I've already had way too much caffeine today. I drank a pot of the lighter coffee earlier. Uh, so, but if I were to enjoy a cup of coffee right now, while I was filming this episode, I would prefer the dark roast. So get both try a variety. Uh, get whatever they have available because they roast different roasts. You know, every time they roast their coffee is different. That's the other really cool thing. It's a lot like a craft brewery, you know, the small breweries, the nano breweries, the boutique breweries or wineries. They're, you know, their vintages in wine or their beer batches are going to vary every batch because unlike Anheuser-Busch that's making millions of gallons, they might only be making 100 or 200 gallons. And so the ingredients are a little different each time. They don't blend all these batches together to make uh, you know, a, a consistent flavor. So there's little subtle changes from batch to batch. And it's worth trying them all. Uh, but this is a Bitcoin podcast, not a coffee podcast. So I will get back to Bitcoin. However, this is Bitcoin coffee and support a Bitcoin pleb, support a, uh, El Salvador Bitcoin adoption and get some good coffee in the in the process. Okay, thank you very much to those of you who are listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, such as the Fountain app or the Breeze Wallet. I may have missed a boost or two out there. If you, if I didn't read your boost, uh, DM me on Twitter or email me again. I'm at BTC bullet and pod on Twitter or email as Bitcoin bulletin at protonmail.com. Looking at the individual episodes right now, I show that we haven't received any boosts checking by activity by dates. It shows we haven't received any boosts since July 13th, but I know we have, I mean, I read one last episode and I see them coming in in real time. 
Uh, and it looks like part of the reason for that is, for example, we have a shout out. We have a boost today. It's from Leggy again. Uh, he he gave us uh, a, a what came in as two boosts uh, last week, and what we've got from his two boosts again this week. I think it's supposed to be one, but because of the length, it split it into two, or for whatever reason, it split by two. Maybe because it came in from Breeze Wallet, and also that might be why it's hard to see. Because if if it's if you send a boost on the Fountain app, it usually appends it for the whole world to see uh, to the episode. Uh, when you do it with Breeze, apparently it does not. Uh, so Leggy, send us uh, basically two boosts. It's one split in two, um, and he actually even clarifies it's two boosts in the boost. And he uh, he mentions in the last one he said strange why only two times two point seven k arrived when I transferred two times three k fees question mark this are six k from Breeze I'm from Germany but listening from and this is where it cuts off to the second one but but from uh, but listening from work in Luxembourg at first I stayed for the relaxing music but now for your news and opinions thanks greets Leggy thank you again Leggy uh, and that explains why Germany and um, Luxembourg are always in the the top listeners because um, some of those are probably the same person. Leggy, whether you're listening uh, at work or uh, in, or in, or when you're at home in Germany. And again, yeah, it's probably the fees, I'm assuming, because instead of uh, 6,000 sats, I got two boosts. One for, uh, the first one is 2,709 sats, and the second was 2,714 sats. Uh, so I'm sure that's because uh, either Breeze and or uh, Fountain are taking their cut. And there's also Lightning Network fees in there. Of course, Lightning Network fees are almost free. You know, so it shouldn't be 300 sats uh, times two. Uh, so I'm assuming that's fees. And I don't know whether it was Breeze Wallet or Fountain or both that gobbled up some of that. But it's showing up to me as two boosts. Again, one for 2,709 sats, one for uh, 2,714. But uh Leggy sent 6,000 sats, and so thank you very much for supporting the show. Incidentally, I'm assuming the relaxing and music you're talking about is the intro song, which is played in full at the end of the, the, end of the uh, podcast, and that is a song that I call Banana River Sunset, and I composed it on, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not very talented musically, but I composed it with Apple's GarageBand several years ago for a drone I did, a drone video I did where I was taking some aerial video of uh, the Banana River Lagoon here in the space coast of Florida, the sunset over it, and uh, that's why the the song is this exact. Well, the it, you wouldn't notice, but it's about a four minute long song, and I composed it basically just till the drone video was over, and that was that. So, uh, but I liked it. I liked it a lot. I love it. A lot of people love it. In fact, uh, on the YouTube channel that drone video is on, I had a person tell me that they just put my YouTube channel on in the background with the music playing because they like the songs a lot. So thank you. That's flattering. Because uh, it's double flattering, Leggy, because thank you that you enjoy listening to my news and opinions. And thank you that you like the relaxing music because I mean, it, I didn't, I, I composed it with loops and samples that were already, you know, I didn't like pick up musical instruments and compose it, but I did put together the loops. So I get a little bit of credit for it, right? All right. And speaking of listeners by country, we had a little bit of a change of where our listeners are coming from uh, last well, it's not just last episode, it's all episodes cumulatively, but since last episode, previously 52% of you were listening in the United States, that is up just a tiny bit, 53% of you are listening from the United States now, I'm obviously in the United States on the space coast of Florida, uh, 14% of you are in Argentina, that's unchanged, so hola, muchas gracias amigos uh, from Argentina, 
Germany remains 6%. Some, one, at least one of those is you, Leggy, probably, or at least the Luxembourg one is. So uh, it's night here, so guten Nacht. I hope I got that right because I remember from my German, uh, day, German class in high school and in, at university that, uh, and that was a long time ago, but if you don't speak German, the difference between night and nudity is a very slight variation on how you say Nacht or Nacht. So uh, not good nudity, good good night to you in Germany. Guten Nacht, hopefully I got that right. <laughs> if I didn't, feel free to laugh at my expense. Ich bin ein Berliner, right, as our former president, John F. Kennedy, once said, which to an uninformed American would literally translate to I am a Berliner, but if you're in German, uh, it means I'm a jelly donut. Uh, and I'm in, by no means fluent in it in any language other than English. But thank you, my German friends. Uh, uh, and 2% of you, well, we got a, uh, a five-way tie now. Uh, and what's different here is it was 2% last week, 2% of you were in Canada, 2% of you were in Luxembourg, 2% of you were in Venezuela, and 2% of you were in Colombia. This week, 2% of you were in Canada, 2% of you were in Luxembourg, 2% of you were in Spain. So hola, amigos. And España, uh, and two percent of you are in Venezuela, and two percent of you in Colombia. Uh, hola, it Venezuela and Colombia as well. Uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking friends listening to this podcast. That's really cool. Um, I've never been to Venezuela or Colombia, uh, and I've never been to Luxembourg. I hope to go to uh, Austria, Switzerland, and Germany, and uh, and explore the Alps a little bit in the not too distant future. That was one of my big vacation plans that got canceled by the worldwide lockdown. Um, one of the things that you never sell your Bitcoin, right? But it's important to also, in, you know, to, to enjoy your profits a little bit. And one of the things I have planned is I had planned was if Bitcoin broke a hundred thousand in the last cycle, I was going to take just a tiny percent of my stack that I even kept on a separate hardware wallet. So I pretended like I didn't even have it. It was like my dream vacation stack. And if Bitcoin hit 100,000, I was going to use it to go do just a European vacation, hit as many of the EU countries as I could, uh, my, and bring my kids along and just show them, show them you know, what Europe is like. Bitcoin didn't hit 100,000. Since then, I've adjusted that. Uh, if it hits 150,000, that's my plan. Plan on doing Europe and the Alps anyway. Um, but if Bitcoin hits 150,000, or maybe I'll adjust that a little higher because listening to Stock to Flow, and a lot of people are really upset with Stock to Flow because is his adjusted stock to flow model didn't pan out last bull run, but uh, you know, he gives a range and, and he has a YouTube channel now. And on one of his more recent YouTube broadcasts, plan B was showing that his old original stock to flow model, which wasn't wrong. It only forecast, I think 50,000 Bitcoin last time. So 69 was certainly in, in that range. Uh, his original modeling shows that Bitcoin will be anywhere between like, I think it was 500,000 and a million in the next run. So Maybe 100,000 would be too soon to cash out a little bit. Never sell your Bitcoin anyway, but um, I put some fiat away in a, and it used to be in a paper wallet. That's how long ago I did it. I've since, I've since swept it into a hardware wallet, but I literally printed it out and had it in a folder on my desk, said European vacation wallet. Uh, I also have one for a sailboat and I'll probably never use that, but I have a, and it's still on a paper wallet. I need to get that swept, but it's just a sailboat on it. Um, and if it ever, Bitcoin ever hits a certain target, uh, you know, enjoy your Bitcoin, right? Don't, I mean, you do want to build generational wealth and you don't want to trade it to somebody and you want to save it to when you can spend Bitcoin. But, uh, at the same time, you need to enjoy your life as well. And if you invested in Bitcoin a long time ago, 
uh, you know, enjoy, congratulate yourselves for, for being smart, being early and pat yourself on the back and, and enjoy a little bit of it. Hopefully spend the Bitcoin, ideally spend and replace in lieu of cashing in for fiat. Uh, but that's one of the things I plan to do on the, if Bitcoin just goes parabolic again after the next halving, I'll see some of you in, in Europe, hopefully. Uh, but I digress. Again, the big news right now, uh, the big news this week, although that news has changed from Bitcoin being down to Bitcoin being up, is price, price, price. Uh, multiple headlines out there are, you know, if you if you just type in Bitcoin and click on news in any of the search engines, it's all going to be about the price. Headlines, for example, on Reuters saying Bitcoin surges 8.3% above 24,000. Uh, again, from Bloomberg, Bitcoin jumps to highest since August as regulatory concerns ebb. We'll get into that in just a little bit. And even the bozo Mike Novogratz is making headlines with Novogratz sees chance of Bitcoin hitting $30,000 this quarter. Uh, that doesn't seem too far away at all with Bitcoin lapping at 25,000 as we speak. In fact, you know, when we were talking about our stack last week and the week before that, when we were talking about our average cost basis was underwater. You know, when Bitcoin was at $16,000, having an average cost basis of 29 or 30,000 seemed a lot further away, almost double what we had paid, right? But with Bitcoin closing in at 25,000, all of a sudden 29,000 isn't that far away and neither is, neither is 30,000. I mean, Bitcoin just moved 8.3% today, right? So a 10% swing in one day is nothing. Another 10% swing and we're going to be in the green on our stack. Uh, a lot of people had been worrying that the bear market was not over yet and I didn't have a crystal ball. I wasn't going to call whether the bear market's over yet or not. I'm still not going to call it. Uh, because I don't know, you know, there could be a black swan. Uh, I know that if you zoom out, Bitcoin goes up into the right uh, and it tends to run in those four-year halving cycles. But on a day-to-day -day basis, anything can happen. Plan B on Twitter, however, has been consistent on uh, the bear market is over, that we're in a bull market. Before we even pumped, he had, uh, he had a video on his YouTube channel where he was saying that the bull trap FUD was just FUD and that it was rational FUD. Because in the hype cycle, part of the hype cycle is the denial or the disbelief phase where people are so used to Bitcoin being down or them being underwater that they just don't believe that Bitcoin, that the bear market is over. And it, it's happened every single time. Speaking of Mike Novogratz, you know, during the last crypto winter, uh, everybody thought Bitcoin was going to go to a thousand. And there was a, that famous meme where uh, Tone Vase was saying Bitcoin was going to hit a thousand or lower. And Mike Novogratz said, no, the bottom was in. Turns out Novogratz was correct. He's been wrong about many things since then. Um, but uh, then as now, the bull market began well before most people thought it had. Everybody thought it was a bull trap, that they thought the bear market was going to continue, and it, and it was over. So the people who were waiting for $1,000 Bitcoin missed out. And uh, there's a distinct possibility if you were waiting for that $10,000 Bitcoin, you missed out. If your dollar cost averaging you've bought all the way down. Uh, and so you don't miss out. And that's one of the reasons we do DCA. Uh, and Plan B took a victory lap on Twitter about four hours ago now, uh, posting the Bitcoin bull market. So it begins with that tidal wave gift that he uses quite frequently. Of course, there are a lot of factors either weighing on the price of Bitcoin or pushing on the price of Bitcoin this week. Uh, first of which was the CPI, the inflation numbers that came out uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, CPI is obviously a BS statistic. As I mentioned, that famous quote last week when we were talking about CPI, Mark Twain said there's three type of lies, lies, damn lies, and statistics. 
And of course, nothing is worse than a government statistic. And CPI, if you don't know, the consumer price index is based on a basket of goods that they continually change. And when things get more expensive, for example, if the price of steak gets too expensive, they, they substitute it and say, well, people aren't buying steak anymore. They're buying ground beef instead, which is obviously a lot cheaper. So they put the ground beef in the basket. Voila, your groceries cost exactly the same, and therefore there's no inflation. Obviously, that's horse crap. Um, but this time around, it is even worse because for the first time, this, uh, for the first time in a long time, for the, for, for the first time ever, there's the current. They, they've reformulated, not the first time they've reformulated CPI, but the first time they've used the latest formulation for CPI was this latest statistic. And previously, they relied on a biannual process two years worth of data and, and it's now they're relying on just one year's worth of data to determine inflation and you know by using less data you're in anything if you take fewer data points your conclusions are less reliable right um, people say that you know the four-year cycle was too hard to, to say was really a thing because we'd only had two having cycles to compare it to two points of data does not a trend make uh, and and that's you know that's a fair point and the same thing goes with CPI. By reducing it from two years worth of data to one year's worth of data, they're uh, they're getting rid of an entire year's worth of inflation. They're now they're all now looking they're now only looking back one year. Inflation was already raging a year ago, so inflation is not not going to look as bad, right? Because prices were already high a year ago. As opposed, to if you're comparing it to inflation, if you're comparing the price of eggs from two years ago when eggs were you know sixty nine cents a dozen to now when they're at $7 a dozen, it looks a lot worse than if you compare them to a year ago when eggs were maybe $3.50 a dozen, right? Cuts the appearance of inflation in half. And that's just one of the BS ways that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, et cetera, manipulate numbers to make it look like things are all rosy when they are clearly not. If you've been to the grocery store, you know inflation is real and not transitory and not waning. Nonetheless, with the new calculation, annual inflation declined from 6.5% year over year in December to 6.4% in January. So everybody took that as a big sign of relief. The stock market pumped. But then they realized that month over month, inflation was actually up by half a percent. And none of that even takes into effect that they changed the way that they, that they calculate CPI, which is a BS statistic anyway. Um, but nonetheless, that's had a huge impact on markets because people assume that um, because inflation is coming down, the Federal Reserve will begin to taper or maybe pivot. Uh, and you know that's influencing the price of the stock markets and every asset and every commodity that people trade, including Bitcoin. The other major factor influenced Bitcoin price was the Securities and Exchange Commission FUD. Of course, you know, the SEC has begun to drop the hammer on altcoins. Previously, Gary Gensler, even before he was the SEC chairman, when he was a professor at Harvard, uh, gave the opinion that Bitcoin is a commodity and pretty much everything else is a security and as such an unregistered security because no altcoins are registered securities. Uh, they dropped the hammer on uh, Kraken for selling unregistered securities. That was Kraken uh, agreed to stop their staking in the United States and paid a $30 million fine. Apparently, they're dropping the hammer on a couple other uh, Exchanges as well are preparing to. The rumor is that they might be cracking down on Circle and on U U.S. dollar token and stable coins as well. And that led to the FUD that, oh no, they're going to crack down on Bitcoin or crack down in a way that's going to impact the price of Bitcoin because when people panic about the crackdown on stable coins or whatnot, uh, that people panic and sell their Bitcoin as well. 
That has apparently turned to relief. And that is what a lot of people are saying is driving today's huge surge in the price of Bitcoin uh, because people are thinking that, well, maybe Bitcoin is safe. And it is obviously safe because there is no way the SEC can truly crack down on Bitcoin. They can pass laws, they can pass regulations, but there is nobody to go after. If they wanted to go after Ethereum, they could go after the Ethereum Foundation. They could knock on Vitalik's door. They could, you know, you can't run a full Ethereum node because it's just too huge. It, you know, it, you can't run it on a Raspberry Pi in your closet. Uh, so almost nobody's running Ethereum full nodes. Uh, so they can go to the companies that are the foundations that are and shut them down. They can absolutely shut down stable coins uh, by going to the issuers and saying, stop. Uh, and we're seeing that happen. Uh, but there's nobody to go to in Bitcoin. They can say you're a criminal if you trade Bitcoin. And they've done that in places. We've seen how well that's worked in China, right? Or in, uh, you know, the highest uh, Bitcoin use per capita is uh, in Nigeria. And it's illegal to do so in Nigeria. Uh, but it's the most Bitcoin use in the world, right? So uh, you can't regulate Bitcoin. You can regulate Bitcoin, but just in the same way that um, you can regulate sharing and pirating music and movies. It hasn't done a thing to stop it. The only thing that kind of put a wane to uh, piracy is that it's just gotten so cheap to subscribe to Netflix or Apple Music or whatnot that it just isn't worth it for people to pirate anymore. But that was a market-based solution, not a regulation-based solution. And then that's a very similar uh, to Bitcoin is that they couldn't put uh, torrenting out of business and they can't put Bitcoin nodes out of business. Anyway, allegedly people are realizing that and that's part of why Bitcoin price pumped or it could just be Bitcoin doing what Bitcoin does. If it continues to run in the four-year cycles as it always has, uh, we're at the point now where Bitcoin should slowly trend upward to where somewhere around the halving, we're talking about um, getting close to the previous all-time high. In the last bull run, I don't think we got to the pre we didn't break the previous all-time high till several months after the halving, but we were trending up, up and to the right, uh, and then certainly after the halving, and then of course it went parabolic a few months later, as we always have. Other really cool news out there towards Bitcoin adoption, and this has to do with Lightning, is Breeze has introduced a new Lightning SDK. What is an SDK? If you if you are not a programmer or don't know, SDK is short for Software Development Kit. And basically what that is, is a set of tools where you can integrate Lightning into any software, any app, any website that you run without knowing how to program at all. They basically are just giving you a plug-in. According to Wikipedia, Software Development Kit is a collection of software development tools in one installable package. They facilitate the creation of applications by having a compiler, debugger, and sometimes a software framework. They are normally specific to a hardware platform and operating system combination. According to Breeze, the Breeze SDK enables mobile developers to integrate Lightning and Bitcoin payments into their apps with, ver with a very shallow learning curve. The use cases are endless from social apps that want to integrate tipping, like think Twitter or Noster, uh, Noster apps, uh, between users to content creation apps interested in adding Bitcoin monetization. Lightning use, as I've already talked about, and you probably already know, is already exploding. This is a big deal because a lot of people might like to add Lightning, but they don't want to employ Lightning engineers, software engineers specifically, to take months or years to write the code to, add, to integrate Lightning and then worry about debugging it and any problems that might come from handling the money. In this case, you can just plug that SDK right into your application. You don't have to worry about getting... You don't have to worry about writing the code. You don't have to worry about getting a money transmitter license to handle 
uh, to handle the, the, the Bitcoin transactions because all of that is handled for you. That is a big deal. And I mentioned Noster. Noster is actually a protocol. Uh, it's a decentralized protocol basically for social media. Basically right now it's, de it's glorified Twitter. Uh, and to access Noster, you need an app. For example, in iOS, you would use the potentially the Domus app. Uh, and it's really cool. There is a debate on whether it is pronounced Noster, like Noster, or Noster, like Noster. Uh, I apparently think, I, I, I naturally think, you know, Noster, I think is how I said it, but I don't know. Uh, one of the things that I've heard is between Domus and Noster, you have like Nostradamus, so maybe that is a justification for how to pronounce it. Someone else pointed out on, I think it was, uh, I don't remember what podcast it was, but it was a podcast I was listening to a day or two ago that they said Noster is actually Latin for the for hours. Uh, so maybe that's a coincidence or maybe that is why they named it Noster. But Noster is said to stand for notes and whatever other things. I forget. It's an acronym. Uh, but there's a debate on how it's pronounced, either Noster or Noster. Uh, and it's cool. Uh, the drawback is it's mostly Bitcoiners and Bitcoin maxis at that. The plus is that it's mostly Bitcoiners and Bitcoin maxis at that. So you don't have, uh, you don't have people that you don't want to hear whining about, you know, whatever uh, on Twitter. People that vehemently disagree with you, uh, people that are anti-Bitcoin, you don't have to worry about the shitcoiners uh, out there. Uh, none of that normie Twitter BS. Uh, so it's kind of neat. Uh, and it's uncensorable. Uh, you can't get blocked. You can post whatever you want on Noster. Uh, if you're using Domus, I think their terms and conditions say you're not allowed to use Domus to post anything that they deem offensive or threatening or whatever. But uh, but that's a term of service between you and the app you're using to access Nostra. It has nothing to do with Nostra itself. Uh, and uh, it's brand new. And if you're getting in on Nostra now, you're getting in early. Who knows whether uh, Nostra will just be MySpace and get replaced by a Facebook or whether it becomes the dominant, you know, if it replaces Twitter one day, or just leads to bigger and better things we can't even conceive of right now. But it's worth checking out. It's really cool. Uh, and uh, if you're not familiar with it and you're on Apple, uh, consider downloading the Domus app. Uh, and basically it's going to give you, just like Bitcoin, a, a, a private key and a public key. And you share your public key and that's how you find people. And verify who they are and uh, do not share that private key just like with bitcoin never show anyone that private key because if someone gets your private key they can they're you you know they they, they can control your nostr feed all right that is all i really wanted to get into before i let bitcoin get any more expensive and do our daily stack uh, so let's get into it today's dca wednesday and let's add to our wednesday dca stack to do so as always uh, i'm going to use the cash app and i was just talking on Twitter, posting on, not Twitter, posting on Reddit the other day, someone asking about Cash App. Uh, and they were saying they didn't like Cash App because Cash App's fees. And I said, well, I love Cash App because it's easy. Uh, they're not a sponsor of the podcast. I want to make that disclaimer perfectly clear. They've never given us a thing uh, and no, uh, other than we have a, uh, a referral code, which no one's ever used. And everyone that has Cash App has their own referral code. So if you sign up for Cash App, you have a referral code you can share with friends and family. Uh, so they can get a little bit of free money for signing up and, and you get a reward as well. Uh, but I use it because it's easy uh, because they do charge about two and a quarter percent to purchase Bitcoin. And that is a lot more than, you know, some exchanges where you can buy as little as like a tenth of a percent. But they don't charge you anything to transfer your Bitcoin to your hardware wallet. 
So we're going to spend about 45 cents in fees to purchase $20 of the Bitcoin today. But if I transfer it immediately to my hardware wallet, I'm going to do it for free. Uh, and it would cost a couple dollars in mining fees right now uh, at 28 cents or whatever it was, a virtual byte minimum to get that transferred. I think that works out to $1.50 or something currently. More than a dollar. Uh, and that's more than what we'd spend on the fees. So basically your fee is, um, you know, that it, it more than makes up for the fee. Uh, so like, for example, uh, when I had a Coinbase account, uh, they would charge me that mining fee. So it, last time I, when I closed out and moved everything off of Coinbase years ago, it cost me like $5 in mining fees to do it. So what I saved in uh, percentage fees are more than made up for in mining fees. More, it cost me more mining fees to use Coinbase in the, in the long run. Now, if you're going to buy $10,000 with a Bitcoin, that two and a half, two and a quarter percent is significant. The mining fee would still be about $1.50. Uh, so that changes that. But for our $20 stack, it's cheaper to use Cash App and it's certainly a lot more convenient. Also, I'm going to, I don't keep any money on my Cash App. So they let you add money immediately. I have a debit card linked to Cash App. So I can add that money, spend it, and withdraw it immediately. When I used Coinbase, they would, if I did, if I wired money, because they, they used to let you use a credit card and then they got rid of that. Uh, so if you wired money, it takes five business days before it's even there. And then after I bought Bitcoin, they made me wait five days before I could transfer it to my hardware wallet and charge me the mining fee. So we're going to use Cash App. And I've already added the $20 just like that. It's already ready to spend. Uh, tap on Bitcoin, tap buy, tap. $20, tap confirm, and boom, just like that, we have stacked, uh, we've stacked another 79,279 sats, that is going to bring our total stack up to 5,633,332 sats, Almost as importantly, it's gonna it brought our dollar cost average, our average I'm sorry, it brought our average cost basis down. Not as much as it had been doing. It only dropped our average purchase price by $55.46. But it every time we're buying under, you know, at under well, right now our average cost basis is $29,112.43. Underwater, but not as underwater as it had been. And we just purchased at $24,659. So up 300 bucks since I even started broadcasting this uh, this podcast. As long as Bitcoin is under 29,000, uh, it's going to lower our average cost basis. Uh, but in the long run, all that really matters is the number of sats we stacked. I mentioned over and over again on multiple episodes when Bitcoin was $16,000 and Bitcoin is $18,000. Have you stacked enough $16,000 Bitcoin? Are you going to regret the number of sats you have when Bitcoin's 69,000, when Bitcoin's 100,000, if Bitcoin's a million, are you regretting at 25,000 or 24,000 not having stacked that $16,000 Bitcoin? I hope you're not. If you're dollar cost averaging, certainly you're not. Obviously, it doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you have once you become a Bitcoiner and you're all in. You never feel like you have enough. I'm regretting every sat I don't have, but you can only purchase so much. You only have so much fiat. You only mine so much fiat at your day job. You can only earn so many sats, even if you're getting paid in Bitcoin. So you can only do what you can do. Uh, and that uh, is why we're dollar cost averaging and why we're only dollar cost averaging $20 because I wanted to show that even $20 a week is going to add up over time. And it already has. 
Uh, we started dollar cost averaging in July of 2021. Uh, this was our 82nd stack, so we've stacked 82 times now. Um, and had you YOLO'd in on July 28, 2021, Bitcoin was $39,716 on that day. We did our first DCA, DCA stack. Uh, that would have purchased you 4,129,277 sats, not even including fees. I'm just taking the total amount we invested. We've spent, you know, you would have spent whatever, two and a quarter percent in fees or maybe 1% in fees if you bought on a different exchange. But even say, even pretending like fees didn't exist, uh, you would have 1,504,055 fewer sats had you YOLO'd in uh, instead of DCAing you would be even more underwater uh, than you are now, obviously. Um, so even just in this short term, dollar cost averaging has been a win for us. Again, Bitcoin and dollar cost averaging are both long-term plans. Uh, if you do, if you haven't gone all into Bitcoin, if you don't own any Bitcoin and you're contemplating purchasing Bitcoin, again, do your own research. The important thing about dollar cost averaging is you invest an amount that you can invest regularly, uh, you know, a regular, a fixed amount at a regular interval. It doesn't mean you can't buy other Bitcoin if you get it, you know, you can't, you can, you can buy the dip, so to speak. If Bitcoin tanks tonight and goes back down to 15,000, I'm absolutely going to stack more sats, even though it isn't part of our DCA stack. So it doesn't preclude that, uh, but it does make sure you, you know, you don't miss out. Again, do your own research. This is not financial advice. But I think even in just the two, less than two years we've been DCAing, we've already shown that we are doing better than we would have, been, than we'd be doing had we, had we YOLO'd in. And if you're one of those people that think, I only have $100, I only have $500, that's not worth it. I'll never have enough Satoshis. Uh, it's not worth investing just $100. Well, we've invested just $20 a week. And that $20 a week has turned into, you know, already over 5.6 million sats. And if Bitcoin hits that $1 million moon one day, uh, if we don't stack another sat, uh, our stack will be worth $56,333.32. And I don't think there's anybody, not even Elon Musk would say that $56,000 isn't real money. Uh, even if Bitcoin just hits $100,000, uh, that's going to be $5,633 with a Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, we did that at $20 a whack. And we've only stacked $1,640. So that would be a heck of a return. So I think we've proven two things. We were better off DCAing than, than YOLOing in um, because we have more sats than we would have. And even $20 a week has gotten us a nice stack of sats, a stack of sats that might even be life-changing for you one day. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that $56,000 would be life-changing for if Bitcoin hits a million. If Bitcoin hits 10 million, that'd be, you know, $560,000, more than a half a million. Uh, there was that uh, that estimate, uh, was it Fidelity or Vanguard? I forget who it was. We spoke about it a couple podcasts ago where they said that by 2038, Bitcoin was going to be worth a billion. Uh, that seems impossible to believe, but you know, $1 Bitcoin seemed like a pipe dream one, at one point in time. $1,000 Bitcoin seemed like a pipe dream. $20,000 Bitcoin was a pipe dream in 2016. Uh, and $69,000 Bitcoin when Bitcoin crashed down to $3,000 and in 2018 was a pipe dream. So Bitcoin can surprise you. And what's important to ask yourself is, do you believe 
that Bitcoin is a revolutionary discovery, that it's going to change the world? Um, do you think that more people are going to adopt it? Do you think that supply and demand has an effect on price and that um, the having reducing the amount of Bitcoin that miners have to sell on the market, getting cut in half every four years is going to influence the price? If you believe all of those things, then, um, then you should feel comfortable stacking Bitcoin at any price. You should feel comfortable stacking at 16. You should have been thanking your lucky stars at 16 that you could, we were buying over 100,000 sats for just $20. Uh, you should be saying that it's a bargain right now at 24. Uh, you should be saying it's a bargain at 69,000. When Bitcoin, if Bitcoin, if Bitcoin hits 100,000, uh, will you have regretted purchasing at any price that Bitcoin has been in its entire history? I don't think the answer is yes to that. I think the answer is a solid no. If Bitcoin hits a million, even 100,000 Bitcoin will be a bargain. So uh, do your own research. Don't invest any money that you can't afford to lose. Don't invest any money that you're not going to be able to eat or pay your electric bill if you spend on Bitcoin. Uh, so do your own research. But um, if you believe in Bitcoin and you're hesitating stacking because you don't, you think you're too late or you don't think you have enough to make it worth it, hopefully our experience um, has shown that that's not the case. Either way, um, we're going to keep stacking every Wednesday until Bitcoin goes to the moon. There's no more Bitcoin left to purchase or Bitcoin, you know, goes to zero, which, you know, I can't say there's a non-zero chance that Bitcoin goes away. I very firmly believe that's not the case, but uh, as long as there's Bitcoin to buy, we're going to be buying Bitcoin. Uh, so until then, hopefully we'll see you next Wednesday to grow your stack alongside us. But until that time, Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.